Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted three verses from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book, one of the most quoted of Old Testament books among the people of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They, there are more copies of this book than all the books except, I believe, Psalms and Isaiah. And Deuteronomy is quoted more frequently in the New Testament except for those two books. Psalms and Isaiah. And Deuteronomy is a book that in a sense, I I called this thing several things in my note, but it's a picture of the whole Bible. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but some of the same basic themes that the Bible emphasizes throughout are here in Deuteronomy. This is emphasized to see how simple, how plain, how direct this book is. We also could call this the gospel in Deuteronomy. For we're going to end up emphasizing some points where Deuteronomy pictures the story of the whole, the the gospel, the good news, the salvation in Jesus Christ. But what am I talking about? One of the most basic truths in Scripture is that God loves us. And that is revealed repeatedly in Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 37 and 38. As God revealed himself to Israel, it says, Because he loved your fathers... Therefore, he chose their descendants after them, and he personally brought you up from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. He mentions God's choice of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God bringing Israel out of Egypt by his power and giving them the promised land of Canaan. All of these are illustrations of how he loved you and he chose you. Look at Deuteronomy 7. In Deuteronomy 7, the Lord did not, this is verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the nations. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
God's love for you was not initiated because you were the most worthy of people, because you were the most numerous of people, because of some inherent characteristic of you that made you more worthy of love. The Lord set his love upon you and chose you in spite of the fact that you were the fewest of all people. He has loved you. He has kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. And we're going to look at some passages in just a moment throughout Scripture which emphasize some things about that truth. God's love is going to be shown, if you look in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 7, in His blessing to people. He will love you and bless you and multiply you and bless the fruit of your womb. Here He's promising to pour out their blessings and these blessings will be poured out on the people if they are Faithful. Look at Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. Deuteronomy 10, verses 14 and 15. It says, Behold the Lord your God, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in them. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them and he chose their descendants after them even as all even you above all people as it is this day is a fundamental truth of scripture that God loves us and God wants us to be saved well this fundamental truth is revealed in this book. We could start with so many books and emphasize this truth. But we see this truth stated right here in Deuteronomy. Now that doesn't mean those people, any more than people in our world today, always find that easy to grasp. Look at Deuteronomy 1. In Deuteronomy 1, the Bible is talking about the people's rebellion and refusal to go in and to take the land after the spies came back with their bad report. In verse 26, the Bible says, Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Was it always obvious to Israel that God loved them? In the midst of their experiences, in the midst of their ups and downs, was that obvious? No, here they attribute their circumstances and even the foremost example of God's love, God's deliverance of them from Egypt, they attribute that in this text to God's hatred. But God didn't bring them out of slavery because he hated them. He brought them out because he loved them. He didn't bring them out of their slavery in Egypt to be devoured in the wilderness. He brought them out in order to give them their land. This book is trying to convince God's people that God loved them. And our purpose tonight 
is to say that this theme which is emphasized so clearly in this book is a key theme throughout all of scripture. Now just as the exodus from Egypt, the exodus from Egypt was the prime illustration in the Old Testament of God's love, as we come into the New Testament, it is the cross of Jesus that is the prime illustration of God's love. That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. As Romans 5 verses 6 through 8 demonstrate that God loves God. We would love, we would die for some who might be righteous, who might be good, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. In verse 4, the Bible says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Now let me tell you why. I mentioned this passage in particular. This passage in particular has emphasized in context, just like Deuteronomy 7 did, that there was nothing within us that was worthy of God's love. Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 and 8 emphasizes that God did not set his love upon Israel and bless them because they were more in number than any people, but because they were the fewest of people. In spite of their limited numbers, God loved them. As Ephesians 2 talks about God's love, there is nothing in the context that merits God's love. There's nothing in this context that demonstrates us to be worthy of such love. As you begin in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. There is nothing in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 that prepares us for Ephesians 2 verse 4. God did not set his affection on us and love us because of some inherent quality within us that made us so lovable. It was in spite of how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
It was in spite of the fact we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. All of these verses show us that God loved us in spite of ourselves. But it's not as if that's the first revelation of that truth to God's people. That has always been the case with God's people. That God's people are not the most lovable of people, but it is because of the nature of God to show His love and to show His mercy and to show His grace. And as a result of that, that is why God loves. And His choice of us is not a matter of pride on our part, but is a matter of thanksgiving. Deuteronomy stresses God's love for us in what should be our proper response to His love for us. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, we have a passage the Jewish people called the Shema. Because of the word here, which is used in Deuteronomy 4, verse 6, the word here, the Hebrew word Shema, it is given its name to this passage. But the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. Because God loves us. Because God has loved us when we didn't deserve His love. The proper response to God's love is to show love to Him. To give Him our total allegiance and total devotion. For that is the type of love that He has given to us. Now, you're familiar with the fact that Mark chapter 12 quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, when listing the first and greatest commandment. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him which commandment is foremost of all. And Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Mark 12, beginning with verse 28. And to this, the scribe that asked the question, who asked the question from a wrong motive, according to Matthew's gospel, but was but was transformed by Jesus' answer, said in verse 33 that to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus was asked what the first and greatest commandment was, he refers to this word from Deuteronomy. 
What God has always wanted of His people, what God has always wanted, is that we respond to His love by loving Him. That we love Him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, the passage in Deuteronomy 6 is unique in that it mentions loving God with heart, soul, and might. But often in the book, it calls us to turn to God, to give ourselves to God with all our heart and soul. I want you to look at an interesting use of that phrase, heart and soul, in Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. In Jeremiah 32, this is a prophecy that the people will be returned to the land after captivity and God will again bless them. If you're familiar with the book of Jeremiah, this is the passage where Jeremiah buys a field. And he buys his field and signs a deed to it, even though they're about to go into captivity. And God said, the point is that one day you're going to come out of captivity. But I want you to notice in Jeremiah 32, verse 41, that God says about his people, I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in the land with all my heart. And with all my soul. Now, let me tell you the reason I'm reading. Every time in the book of Deuteronomy, we read of that phrase, with all your heart and soul, it is a reference to Israel. It is a reference to the people of God. It is a reference to them. To love God with all of their being. But here in Jeremiah 32... The phrase is used of God. That God is going to plant the people in the land with all his heart and with all his soul. But I think that phrase reminds us that his complete devotion to us is a reason for us to devote ourselves to him. Because he has acted on behalf of his people, loving them with all his heart and soul. So we respond to him by loving him with all that we have. That we give him our total allegiance. Look at Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13. In Deuteronomy 13, this is the circumstance where a prophet or dreamer of dreams comes and gives a sign or wonder that is true. But this prophet or dreamer of dreams gives this sign or wonder that's true and encourages the people to worship another God. And the Bible says if this is the circumstance... In verse 3, Deuteronomy 13, verse 3, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God 
is testing us to find out if we love him with everything we are. If he is the one to whom we show allegiance. Our first point was the love of God. The love of God leads to our response of love for Him. And in 1 John 4, 19, we see this truth is covered from one end of Scripture to the other. For the Bible tells us we love because He first loved us. God loves us. We respond to his love by loving him. It's what he's always asked of his people. Simple truths, aren't they? Simple truths found in this Old Testament book and found all throughout Scripture. And love for God expresses itself in obedience. It expresses itself in doing what God asks of him. Now again, this is a simple truth that's found all throughout the scripture. Look back in Deuteronomy 7. In Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, Though therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Praise you so frequently. Love him and keep his commandments. It was also stated in the uh, Ten Commandments and in the uh, statement to avoid idolatry in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 10. Look also at Deuteronomy 10 in verse 12. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. God loves us. God calls us to love him. We express our love by listening to him, by doing what he says. Deuteronomy 11.1 You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his statutes, his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. In verse 13, it shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and soul. Now we could mention other passages of Scripture that make this connection. We're only scratching the surface in the use of these passages, but I think it is evident the emphasis of these texts. And the Bible tells us when we listen to God's commandments, we are not to deviate from them at all. We are not to turn, as Deuteronomy 5 says, to the right or to the left. In Deuteronomy 5 and verse 32, the Bible says, There you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Do exactly what he asked. 
And this emphasis fits with the emphasis of all of Scripture. For Jesus said in John 14 verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, the same thing. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our abode with him. This idea is found in 1 John and 2 John in particular. But in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John 2 verses, verse 5, excuse me, 1 John 5 verse 3, 1 John 5 verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In 2 John verses 5 and 6, 2 John verse 5 and 6, now I ask you lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one which you have had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, that just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. A simple truth. If we love God, we're going to listen to what he said. Isn't that true in any relationship? If you were constantly telling your husband or wife that you loved them, but you never paid any attention to what they said, would they question that? Isn't that true of our relationship with him? And any time when he speaks to us, Understanding already that he loves us. And he loves us in spite of ourselves. Anytime when he speaks to us and communicates his will and way to us. Could it be that that is a means of drawing us nearer to him? In a passage in Deuteronomy 6. The Bible says one day your sons, and this begins in verse 20, are going to ask you, why do we keep these testimonies and these statutes? Why, Why do we live this way? Why do we listen to these words? And you're going to say that we were slaves to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of them, of there. He brought us out of slavery. He brought us into this land that he swore to our fathers in verse 24. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. The Lord speaks to us and commands us for our good. For our good. 
Now, sometimes we may have to be reminded that our greatest good is God Himself. But I don't think God needs to be reminded of that. And what I'm saying is this. Maybe even the things that God has instructed us to do, He has instructed us to do them, to create a consciousness of Him, to create an awareness of Him, and to build our faith and trust and love for Him if we listen to Him. Now let me take a very obvious example. You see that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He wrote to them to do this in remembrance of me. We take of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus. And we see the example in Acts 20 and verse 7 of the disciples doing that on the first day of the week. And when we follow that example and we listen to those words, to do this in remembrance of me, doesn't that serve the purpose of drawing us closer to God and bringing us nearer to God and helping us to be more conscious of Him? And may that be true of everything he said. May it be that everything he says, that as we apply those to our lives and we find ourselves in a new situation in this circumstance or that, that we think of his words and we think of living as he directs, that all of that is for our good to instruct us in how how to love him and how to be pleasing inside. A point is just to emphasize that these truths of Deuteronomy are fundamental to all of Scripture. As I told you, I, I called this different things in my notes. And, and one of the things that I thought of was the gospel in Deuteronomy. And what do we see as some of the basic elements of the gospel in the New Testament? Well, the New Testament writers went to Deuteronomy in order to emphasize some of these basic principles of the gospel. For example, the book of Deuteronomy convicts us all of sin. Look at Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26. Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26. After pronouncing a list of curses that the Israelites were to repeat and the Israelites were to amen in order to emphasize their responsibility to do them, this statement appears in the last verse of Deuteronomy 27. 
Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed is the one who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. A curse rests upon you if you violate this law, if you violate this principle. Now I want you to look at Galatians 3. Turn your Bibles to Galatians 3 and you may want to keep a marker at Galatians 3 because we're going to come back here in just a moment. But Deuteronomy convicts us of sin. Paul uses this passage. He uses this passage to to convict us of our sin and our guilt. He says in Galatians 3 and verse 10, As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of this law to do them, to perform them. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 and says that those who are under the works of a law are under a curse and then quotes this passage to show that a curse rests upon any who do not always abide by all things written in the book. As we look into this great book, we know we have seen it. And we fall short. Well, what is the remedy for that? Look at Deuteronomy 21. In Deuteronomy 21... After the text has talked about a rebellious and stubborn son who is stoned, in verse 22, the Bible says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on a tree. But you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is a curse of God. So you shall not defile the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now, if a man has committed a deed worthy of death. And you hang him on a tree. I want you to notice in context, Deuteronomy 21 verse 22 isn't talking about crucifixion as a means of execution. It is talking about a person being put to death and their body exposed after death as a warning that this is what they've done and this is the penalty for sinners. If you hang their body on a tree after they've been executed, you cannot leave it hanging all night. You have to bury it that same day. And we see two instances in Joshua where the people followed that. Because it makes this general statement. Is he who is hanged is a curse of God. He who is hanged 
is accursed of God. Now, I want you to notice how Paul uses this in Galatians 3, in verse 13. In Galatians 3, in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He quotes that passage and applies it to the crucifixion of Jesus. Galatians 3 has quoted from book of Deuteronomy to show that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short. And now it quotes from Deuteronomy to show that Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness. I realized that I didn't put everything on the PowerPoint that I wanted to. Now, the New American Standard Bible will often use the term cross when that should be translated tree. And it is translated in versions like the King James Version and the New International Version. Some of these passages where cross should be translated tree are Acts 5, verse 30. Acts 10, verse 39, Acts 13, verse 29, and verse Peter 2, and verse 24. Each of those passages is referring to the death of Christ. And it's referring to his death being on a tree. They are intentionally, the New Testament preachers and writers are intentionally drawing a connection with Deuteronomy 21 and verse 23. While the curse rested upon all who had violated the law, Jesus Christ took this curse upon himself by dying on a tree that we stated a moment ago. And that doesn't refer to death by crucifixion in the Old Testament. It doesn't. But the Dead Sea Scrolls do show us that those people understood that connection. They understood if one died by crucifixion, they were hanging on a tree. We said earlier, God loves us. And we gave us evidence of that. The cross of Christ. The more that you ponder the fact that the God who spoke our worlds into existence, the one who made the world and the world did not know him, that this one came to the world, was rejected, and died upon a tree, the more you ponder that thought, the more overwhelming it becomes. That though we had deserved the penalty as lawbreakers, Jesus takes our curse so that we could be saved. And what he reveals to us as far as what we need to do to be saved, 
is it unattainable? It is it unreachable? It is something that is near you and in your mouth. As the Bible says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get for, uh, get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. That passage in Deuteronomy 30 in verses 11 through 14 as we emphasize a little Wednesday night that passage is quoted in the New Testament in Romans 10 to talk about what God has done for us in salvation. We don't need to say who will ascend up into heaven that is to bring Christ down Paul says in Romans 10 verse 6 or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead what does it day the word is near you it's in your mouth and in your heart the fact that God has made salvation so accessible for people like us who have sinned. The fact that God has brought salvation near in the person of Jesus is forever proof that He loves us. And it is all the motivation we need to love Him and to listen to His words. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again and you're willing to repent and be baptized into Christ, it is a life-changing event. But look at how he has given himself heart and soul for you. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.